0: All right, let's look at chapter 32. Jacob prepares for Esau. Jacob has been dreading the day that he would see his brother again, and that day has arrived. Let's read just for the moment the first two verses of chapter 32. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Don't ask me to say it again. Mahanaim. All right. Jacob meets with the angels of God. Never again will Jacob have to deal with his father in law, Laban. That ended last week. Chapter 31, verse 49, which on its surface appears to be a blessing, is really not. Uh, it is really a malediction, not a benediction. Uh, Laban is, I think, is glad to be done with Jacob, as Jacob is to be done with him. Once Laban saw that he couldn't take advantage of Jacob anymore, he was ready to to move him on his way. So here the angels met with ja- with Jacob as he is headed home, and he calls it the camp of God. Mahanaim really means two camps. So it's his camp, and alongside that, the angels' camp. Now, 20 years earlier, remember, 20 years earlier, when he left Canaan, uh, the angels of God met him. And you'll remember in chapter 28, the stairwell, the stairway to heaven. Angels met with him back in chapter 28. Now they meet with him again. And Jacob is coming home victoriously from Mesopotamia. He's coming home with 11 sons, one daughter, and an immense amount of wealth. So this is likely a a vast throng of angels would be my guess that met with him. And he's about 12 or 13 miles from the Jordan River. And he is refreshed by angels and getting ready to go home. The angels are a visual reminder that Jacob has been and will continue to be the object of God's relentless grace. Remember last time we observed, we are noticing the dramatic changes in Jacob's life. He he is not the man he used to be. He is becoming more and more what God intended him to be. And we're going to see that continue today, even though from time to time we catch flashes, glimpses of the old Jacob, but we notice positive changes happening in his life. So God is making Jacob into the man he intended him to be. All right. After the angels, then we come to verse three and we're going to read verses three through twelve and then talk about them for a minute. Verse three. He himself, oops, wrong chapter, verse 3, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle. And donkeys, sheep, and goats, male and female servants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord. Notice what he calls Esau, my Lord, that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well, he thought. If Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Jacob is in prayer reminding God of the promise that he had made. And, and don't think badly of Jacob for doing that. We do the same thing. We will say in prayer, God, you have said in your word that you would hear our prayer. So we, we do that and we're not, being offensive to god when we remind him of what he said in his word and jacob's not being offensive to god when he reminds god of the promises that he made but jacob is scared and with good reason when we last left esau what did he say he would do to jacob i'm going to kill him their day is coming when i will kill him and jacob knew that that's why he left Remember, he went to Mesopotamia to get away from Esau because Esau meant what he said. So it's been 20 years since they've seen each other, and Jacob is fearful that Esau still intends to kill him. So when he sends the messengers to Esau and word comes back, Esau is on his way to meet you, and he has 400 men with him, well... That doesn't sound good, does it? Sounds like uh, maybe Jacob's time is up. Except that God said, I've got plans for you, so what do we make of all of this? Now, this is important. Jacob's desire to settle matters with Esau is a heart necessity, not a geographical necessity. Esau is way down south, and Jacob is not planning to get very close to him at all. So it's not a geographical necessity that causes Jacob to say, Hey, I'm going to encroach on your territory, or I'm going to cross your land. No, that's not going to happen. It is a heart or a spiritual necessity that compelled Jacob To reach out to his brother because Jacob wants to make things right with Esau. Jacob is driven by a spiritual necessity. And it reminds me, at least somewhat, of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 verses 23, 24, 25. When Jesus said, when you... I'll paraphrase so I don't remember the exact quote. But when you're bringing your gift to the altar and you remember that your brother has fought against you, leave your gift, go and find your brother and make it right, and then come back and offer your gift. It reminds me of that. So Jacob is sending word to his brother Esau. I'm coming and, and I wanna, I wanna see you. I want you to know I'm back in the land. Now, this is a pretty ominous picture, uh, for Jacob. He sends messengers. His words are sincere. You notice what he calls Esau? He calls him Lord. My Lord. Uh, not, not equating Esau with God. Don't see it that way, but see it as a, a title of honor and respect for another man. To call him Lord. My Lord. And he calls himself your servant. Uh, And he brings generous gifts. To give to his brother. But Jacob learns that Esau is on his way with a militia. 400 men. And he's fearful that Esau. After all these years. Still intends to kill him. So Jacob responds by dividing. All that he has into two camps. Um, and, And this time, the camp of his camp and the camp of the angels is not what he's thinking about. He's dividing what he has into two camps, hoping to increase his survival rate by 50%. Now, he offers then a prayer, verses 9 through 12, and it's a frightened prayer. And is the first recorded prayer of Jacob? I'm not saying it's the first time Jacob's ever prayed, certainly not implying that, but the first recorded prayer of Jacob it has an invocation and, and confession and petition and and he, he he references the word of God and in the end, and you and I, because we know the story, know that Esau's not going to kill him. Now, Jacob didn't know that when he prayed the prayer. We know it. Esau didn't kill him. But in the end, we will. it will be obvious it isn't the physical measures that Jacob takes of offering a gift and... Separating his family and his possessions into two camps. That isn't what causes him to survive or prevail. It's his prayer. It's his reaching out to God in an earnest plea of prayer. Now, look at verse 13, 14, and 15, and we're going to see what we could term the desperate measures taken by Jacob in order to keep Esau from killing him. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. Now, this is no small gift. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, And 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. So that in any age or decade or year or month or day is an extraordinarily generous gift that Jacob is making to his brother. Now he can afford it, so to speak, because he's got a lot. But it's generous, and there's no way that Esau wouldn't notice that it's generous. And so, as we will read in a minute, as he gets this gift ready, he says to his men, and when Esau arrives and sees all of this, telling this is from Jacob as a gift to you, and I'm not far behind, in other words, I'm right behind the gift, I'm coming, whatever it is you intend to do. So if you add up all these animals, I I think it comes out to 550 animals divided into five groups. Uh, Gifts fit for a king. And and, and let me read verse, uh, let me keep reading because he, he puts perfect spacing between each group. And this Jacob thinks this through look at verse 16 he put them in the care of his servants each herd by itself and said to his servants go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds to me it reminds me of Christmas day when you get one gift and then lo and behold a few minutes later they bring out another gift and a few minutes later another gift Now that hadn't happened to me since I was a kid, but that, you know, does it, does it, you know, one gift after another. So what Jacob is doing, he's putting 550 animals divided by five into you know, five groups. And so Esau sees here's group one. Wow. Pretty, pretty nice. Keeps going. Whoa. Here's another group. Whoa. Another four and five groups. So Jacob is doing this purposefully in an attempt to touch the heart of his brother. And who can blame him? Jacob didn't have a militia. He had a big family, but he didn't have a militia. So if Esau is going to kill me, he's going to kill me. And I can't stop him physically. But I'm hoping to soften his heart with all these gifts to let him know, I honor you, I respect you, and I want to make things right. You know, Jacob... Jacob knew, what's his name? Jacob, what does it mean? A deceiver. Heel grabber. Deceiver. Jacob knows that he was deceptive in dealing with his brother. And he wants to make it right. Amazing how time has a way of, uh, changing things, doesn't it? Got, got any thing like that in your mind? Experiences back home oh did I really do that to him or her and, and I need to make that right well verse 17 look, he instructed the one in the lead when my brother Esau meets you and asks who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you then you are to say they belong to your servant Jacob they are a gift sent to my lord Esau and he is coming behind us. Verse 19. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds. You were to say the same thing that Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I'm sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. Now, when we get to chapter thirty-three, this it isn't going to go down like Jacob thought it would go down. So we'll, we'll see that in a minute. It's going to be good, a good ending, but not quite the way he's planning this. So, um, for the for the first time. <laughs> verse 6 the, the verse that I just this for the first time in his life Jacob wants to be last he's always wanted to be first now he wants to be last uh he's seeking to pacify his brother perhaps he will receive me so he stops to spend the night in the camp what kind of night did he have what do you think yeah Pretty eventful night. So let's look at uh, 22, verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him. Till daybreak. It's a long wrestling match. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Hmm. After a night of wrestling, guess what Jacob has concluded? I'm wrestling with the divine. More on that in a minute. The man asked him, what is your name? He knew his name, but get Jacob to talk. Jacob answered, Jacob, he answered. Now remember, when he said Jacob, what's he really saying? Well, not Israel yet. He's saying deceiver. Deceiver. Oh, my goodness. Honest confession. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was saved. Now Jacob knows who he's wrestling. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and as he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Remarkable evening, wrestling match, and a name change. Jacob is afraid, understandably so. He is alone in the dark, and he's fearful that he might die at the hands of his brother when the sun rises. In the dark and in the silence, he is suddenly in the grip of someone very strong. Jacob himself is apparently no weakling uh, because we have quite a wrestling match that goes on for hours. Now understand, understand this. We discover who the wrestler is as we move through the verses. So understand that Jacob's opponent chooses to be restrained in his exercise of power. He could have broken Jacob's neck if he had wanted to, but he didn't. But what he did do was pull his hip out of the socket. And Jacob limped from that point forward. So every day, this is just an aside, for the rest of his life, Jacob cannot get away from what happened because he limps for the rest of his life. So he'll always remember what happened on that night. Now this is quite a match. I don't know, I didn't, I never wrestled in school. Some of you may have. I've seen wrestling matches and it looks exhausting to me. Now it's went on all night long. So can you imagine the thirst? And, and the absolute exhaustion on the part of Jacob. He does not know until later that he is wrestling the divine. We read in Hosea, the 12th chapter and the 6th verse. And I noted that in your outline on the side. I remember to do that this week. Chapter 12, verse 4 of Hosea. He struggled with the angel talking about Jacob, he struggled with the angel and overcame him, in a sense. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name. So, in a real sense, I want you to think about this wrestling match. In a real sense, this is a parable of the life of Jacob. Can You see it? Jacob wrestled with his brother. Now, not physically, but his life. He wrestled with his brother. He wrestled with his father. Deceiving him. He wrestled with his father-in-law, Laban. Now he wrestles with God. His life is a great struggle as Jacob on the one hand wants to be what he wants to be and on the other hand as God in his grace grips Jacob and slowly but surely molds him and shapes him into the man that God wants him to be. Anybody identify? Have you wrestled with God? Are you wrestling with God right now? Let me let you in on a little secret. I'll be a prophet for a moment. God will win. <laughs> so it would be two of you to go ahead and surrender. Now, what we see here in the divine wrestling with Jacob, that Jacob is really In the grip of God's grace. Because God is going to continue to grow. And shape Jacob spiritually. Into Israel. The man that he wants him to be. The pain of the disjointed. Leg. Hip. um, I can only imagine. How painful that must have been. So imagine it. When it happened, just a touch of the divine. You know, like I said, he could have put the real hurt on Jacob, but he was restrained, but he disjointed the hip. Did Jacob howl? I bet all my money he howled. (laughs) I bet he ah. Who wouldn't have? But he hung on. Amazing. He didn't let go and roll on the ground in pain. He hung on. His foe did it with a mere touch. Now Jacob knows in his mind, who is this? So the wrestlers begin to speak to one another. Jacob senses the divine and insists on a blessing. And Jacob's heart attitude begins to be revealed more and more to us. So he asks, what is your name? Why do you want to know my name? What's your name? Jacob, he says in verse 27, In saying that, in saying deceiver, he is making a confession of the guilt of his life to God. I am a deceiver. And he evokes grace from this divine presence, this angelic person. His assailant then changes his name. No longer will you be called deceiver, but you will be called Israel. Which means God strives or fights. So encouraged by his new name, Jacob wants to know his name and he doesn't get an answer, but he gets a blessing. Jacob then realizes I wrestled with God and he is in awe. Penal uh, means face of God. So God withdrew before sunrise, lest Jacob see him and die. And is there some mystery in all of this? You bet. No confession from me to having it all figured out. But I do know enough to be utterly amazed at what God did in this place in his struggle with, with Jacob. God has left a permanent mark on Jacob. Yes, a physical mark, but more importantly, a spiritual mark. A new name and a new crippling. And you can't separate the two. His defeat brought victory. His crippling brought the new name. God's grace is on Jacob's life. The God who redeems us. Touched by God. We're never the same again. Did you notice that? When God touched you, you're never the same again. Jacob was never the same, neither were you. Or me. Well, we go to chapter 33, we've got time to just, uh, let's do verses 1 through 3, see if we can do that. What we find in chapter 33 is a stunning reconciliation. Meanwhile, the wrestling match is over, the sun has risen, And guess who is still on the way? Esau. So verse 1, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead. Oh, well, wait a minute. He didn't say he was going to do that before, did he? Here he comes. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Seven times. Okay, now let's look at this. So so the dreaded moment has come. This is it. Here comes Esau, 400 men with him. Jacob's strategy kicks in. um, Remember, meeting with Esau is a spiritual imperative for Jacob. The complicated Jacob has been touched by God and God's divine grace. He knows he cannot go on without reconciling with his brother. God had to deal with Jacob before Jacob could deal with Esau. So the wrestling match is over. Here's Esau. And the rest is history. So Jacob divides his family. And notice, in reverse order of importance to himself, the two slave girls and their children, Leah and her children, which were more numerous than the others, and then Rachel and who? Joseph. Yeah, Rachel and Joseph. So he divides his family, and he goes out ahead of them, and he bows down not once, not twice, not three times, but five, six, seven times. He bows before Esau. Do you see some irony? Let let me refresh your memory. I'm going back to chapter 27, verse 29. And here's what it says. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. This is to Jacob. Be Lord over your brothers And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Well, for the moment, who's doing the bowing? Jacob. Jacob's bowing before his brother. He's expressing in the bowing seven times his sorrow over his theft of Esau's blessing. Now what did Esau think about this? Well, you'll have to come back next time to find out. Here's all these animals, here's all these women and all these children and a seven times bowing down brother. So what's Esau going to do? Is he going to kill Jacob or is there going to be reconciliation? That's next week. We'll start with verse four. Father, thank you. Thank you that when you touched our lives, we since then have never been the same. And we are grateful people. So bless us now as we go out from this place. And may we be quick to share the gospel with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next week.